Amen. Amen. I'm glad that you uh, came back after last week. We were outside uh, under the pavilion. I think maybe some people thought we might be out there again this week. But um, I'm, great. I'm grateful for indoor worship uh, this morning because of that. But uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that uh, we're able to uh, open God's Word and look at it together. You know, all across this land of ours, over the next month or so, um, many young people and people not so young uh, will be graduating from, from school. And uh, at many of these commencement exercises, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, guest speakers, they, uh, they're brought in to kind of challenge the graduating class. And they're brought in to, to give them a, a pep talk, if you will, you know. And most of those popular subjects uh, on these occasions seem to be about human potential. You know, what uh, you could do if you set your mind to it or limitless possibilities for, the, uh, for those who are determined. Um, confidence um, at the graduating class will change the world, you know. And uh, challenge to the graduates to be the ones who fix the problems of the world. Uh, and for the most part, all of those speeches focus on the ability of those graduates uh, to accomplish great things. And, and the attempt is to build those graduates up, to uh, basically to spur them on, you know, to, to get them to, to get going and really jump out there. And, and we want them to dream big and to push hard. And... Uh, you know, this morning as I'm thinking about this passage, I, I wonder if Jesus uh, would be a popular, you know, graduation speaker, okay? And, and the reason I say that is because we're going to be in John 15 uh, this morning um, and talking about spiritual discipline and spiritual growth. And, um, you know, it's seen, if seen in the proper light, you, you see Jesus remarks to his disciples here, uh, in this conversation before his death, okay? Um, he, he's talking to them, and it could be viewed as a graduation talk. Uh, the disciples are facing this expansive future. They've been walking with Jesus, and, and they've been taught by him, and, and the days of classroom study have finished, and as they face the future, uh, Jesus speaks to them. And I want you to consider this morning uh, his words and, and how he might phrase them to us as well as to his disciples. Um, this is every bit for us today. Um, I want to be reading out of John 15. If you have your scripture and want to go ahead and open up to John 15, uh, we're going to read down through verse 8 uh, together. And uh, let's just um, uh, follow along here as, as I read. Um, Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and Father, it, it challenges us. It's, um, it speaks to us. And, and Father, I ask that uh, your Holy Spirit, even now, would speak to each one of our hearts. We're so grateful for what Jesus Christ did on Calvary for us. As he, as he gave his life uh, for my sin, that I could be forgiven, that I could be saved and redeemed for all eternity. Father, what a joy it is to know Christ in this way. And I pray, Father, that that would be each one of us, that we would know uh, Christ and, and, and what he has done for us and that, that we would be abiding in him and his life would be in us. And Father, I just want to pause also and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world uh, who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I ask God that you would um, encourage them I ask, Father, that you would just help them in, in this time, help them to not shrink back, um, and, Father, that, that they would stand firm in their commitment to Jesus Christ, uh, no matter what. And, Father, we, we're thankful for all that you do for us every single day, and uh, we're just blessed to be called your children. And we, we, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I submit to you this morning that we can accomplish nothing of lasting significance on our own. I mean, obviously, saying this would get people's attention if you said this at a graduation uh, speech. But what we expect to hear is how we can do anything if we set our mind to it. What we expect to hear is all we have to do is believe in ourselves. <laughs> but that's not the message that Jesus gave his disciples. I mean, in, in verse 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me... You can do nothing. It's pretty simple what Jesus says here. I mean, by ourselves, apart from him, we can do nothing. But what does he mean? What does Jesus mean? How can he, he say that we can do nothing when it's obvious that people are achieving things without abiding in Jesus as their source? I mean, what does he mean by that? You know, Patrick Morley, he says it well in his book, Seven Seasons of a Man's Life. He says this, he says, the problem for many men is not so much that they are failing. Rather, the problem is that they are achieving their goals, but they are the wrong goals. He says, failure means to succeed in a way that doesn't really matter. 
Wow. Failure means to succeed in a way that doesn't really matter. That hurts. Because we all want to make a difference. We all feel like we're doing something. And, and with this insight, it becomes clear that what Jesus is saying is that apart from him, we can do nothing meritorious. We can do nothing of, of substance. Listen, we can't do anything even to earn our own salvation. I mean, Revelation 7.10 says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. It, salvation is from the Lord. Every deed we do apart from Christ is a deed that is seeking to glorify someone other than God, usually ourselves. See, every action apart from Christ is anchored in the confidence that we have in our own ability. <laughs> but it's not anchored in an awareness of our need. Oh, we need Jesus. Amen. We need him. You see, Romans 14, 23 says, that which is not of faith is sin. Apart from him, we can do nothing of any eternal significance. Our scholarly achievement is, is empty knowledge apart from Christ. Our positions of status are meaningless titles if we're not submitted to him. And our religious productions are empty rituals and worldly performances apart from a heart that is changed by Christ. That transformation has to take place so Jesus can categorically say, without me, you can do nothing. No amount of ingenious planning or restless activities or, or sponsoring of spiritual events on our own can produce the fruit that he's talking about here. I mean, this would kind of be like us... <laughs> trying to go out to our fruit tree and, and trying to tie on imitation fruit onto a live branch. I mean, people would be, why are you doing that? Makes no sense. But in life, that's what people are doing all around us in the world. Ladies, what's wrong with your eyelashes? Guys, why does it always have to be bigger to be better? I mean, that's the way we treat things. That's, that's the message of our world. But they're tying imitation fruit on a fruit tree. I mean, Jesus tells us we cannot do anything without him. And scripture also teaches us that we can do some incredible things in Christ. I mean, Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mark 10.27, Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things. Jesus said, all things are possible with God. See, the person who is drawing life from the Savior has God's spirit living in them and moving in him or her and and the future literally has endless possibilities 
When God is moving through us, we can overcome some insurmountable obstacles. When God is moving in and through his people, we can see entire communities changed, transformed for the glory of God. When God is moving through us, we can have, see the hardest heart softened. And we can see the most hopeless situation turned completely around. We've seen it. You and I have seen stuff happen that only God could do. We have witnessed his work. And, and I don't understand where the disconnect is. Because sometimes we, we act like there's, there, you know, we're, we're just wrapped up in the world and there's nothing that we can do about it. You see, these things don't happen because, our, our, because of our techniques. It's not because of our ability. It's because we see these things happening because of who Christ is, is in us. He's moving through us. He's doing these things. So the first thing to keep in mind is if you want to make a real difference in this world, I mean a real difference, you must let Christ build his life in you. You can't do it on your own. You have to let him do it in you. See, success is not measured by what we have, but by who we are becoming. I mean, to quote Patrick Morley again, he says, to be successful in our world, you must display one of or more of the four killer bees. Beauty, brains, bucks, or brawn. Four killer bees. And if you don't have one of these attributes, forget it. The emphasis is always on the externals in our world. What you have and do rather than who you are. So who do you consider to be successful? Who is somebody that you would look up to? I suspect it's somebody who displays these killer bees, you know. They're, they're the people who have amassed a fortune and, and, and are trying to make an impact, maybe like an Elon Musk, or, or they're, maybe there's somebody famous like Taylor Swift. It may be someone for Christians who leads a large church or ministry and is seen on television or writes lots of books. These are the people that, that, that we want to be like, that we want to emulate, that we want to follow. But can you see that all these things are just surface issues? I mean, Jesus calls us to something way, way deeper. He calls us to hunger for godly character. I mean, Jesus says God is not looking for press clippings. He's not, he's not looking for attendance figures. He's not looking for, for, for budgets and bank accounts. He's looking for fruit. Fruit. Fruit in your life. Fruit in my life. I mean, God's fruit is Christ-like character. Being more like Christ. That's the fruit that he is looking for. In Galatians 5.22, the word of God says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of these things is the fruit of the Spirit. And the person who is truly living from the vine will be displaying a Christ-likeness in their personality. They will be open to instruction 
and correction rather than thinking that they know everything. They will be soft and malleable, not hard and callous. They will be gentle with those who are hurting, not abrasive. And they will treat others with respect, not as objects to be exploited. They're gonna be patient, not quick-tempered. They're gonna be loving and not manipulative. See, these are the characteristics that be, are becoming so rare in our world that they stand out. When we exhibit these qualities, the, 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 the Christ-like character, when we exhibit these, they're seen, there's such a rare attitude. You know, in our world we see viciousness, we see judgmental, we see aggressive, we see angry attitude that, that, that's received from most people. And it's truly a sad commentary on our own community when we act like that, when we act like the rest of the world. See, it makes us wonder if there are some dead branches calling themselves Christians. I mean, my prayer is that others see Christ in the way we treat each other and in the way that we treat them. God's fruit is Christ-like character and God's fruit is also changed lives, transformed lives. Jesus said in Luke 10, 2, he said the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send workers into his harvest field. And in this case the harvest is lost people Lost people coming to a genuine faith in Christ. Now it's important to clarify that Jesus is not talking merely about people making decisions for Christ. Jesus is talking about a genuine change of heart. He's not talking about somebody adding Jesus to what they're already doing. He's talking about someone who is sold out and someone who is following Jesus with all that they have. I mean, if you're faithfully serving the Lord, I want to ask you this question. Are people being drawn to Christ as their Savior and King because of your life? because of what they see in you? Are you seeing God's fruit displayed in your life? See, the process of, of growth is never ending. We never arrive in our faith. There is never a time before we reach heaven when we as a Christian can say, whew, I finally made it, you know? Man, I have become all that God would like to make of me. That never happens here. In the text, Jesus says, we gotta hear this, every branch in me that bears fruit is pruned. Every branch that is in me that bears fruit is pruned. Verse two, folks, there are no exceptions. 
I mean, God, he, he cleans us by a regular exposure to his word. That's one of the things that I love about hearing sermons, about, about being in worship and, and hearing someone bring the word of God is because he cleans us by a regular exposure to his word. And you know what? When we don't have that exposure to his word, you know what? We're running around with dirt on our face. We're running around with dirt on our life because we've not been cleansed by exposure to his word. His disciples are said, he tells them that they are clean because of the word I have spoken to you in verse three. See, I believe this is a primary way that, that God prunes us. A constant exposure to his word should always lead us to repentance. It should always refocus us and it should always lead to renewal. A renewal in our relationship with Jesus Christ and who he is. See, the author of, of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he says this. He says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. Amen. He knows. The word of God knows what's going on in here. And it's able to, to separate those things that are true from uh, the, the lies. It separates the sin from the righteousness. His word separates those things. And it always leads us to repentance. It always leads us to refocusing on him and renewal in our relationship with him. See, God's word is constantly holding up the standard of godly living in front of us. And as a result, we see where we need to change, where we need to grow. God's word is amazing. His word encourages us. It rebukes us. It directs us. See, the great danger for believers is that we begin to read God's word like the newspaper or, you know, the blog where we get our, our news from or whatever, because we read it like information. We read it for information and not as the revelation of truth. You know, when we begin to take up the Bible looking for ammunition rather than instruction, we got a problem. I mean, we can find ourselves reading to strengthen our opinions rather than in, to inform our opinions. And the growing Christian is constantly looking at their life through the lens of Scripture, of wondering, you know, what is it that I'm doing? How is God working through my life? You know, and, and, and as we read God's Word, we are, we are moved to repentance for sin that has been uncovered. Maybe we're reading God's word and we didn't realize that what we were doing was wrong. And when it's, we become aware of it, then it's like, oh, I need to do something about that. We're not just reading it trying to get to the end of the story. God's word is a mirror for our life so that we can see where we fall short, what we need to repent of, where we need to go, what needs to happen. But it also challenged our love to love people in difficult situations. 
You know, when, when somebody has gotten under your skin and you're going back to see them and you're, you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm just not feeling the love today. Man, God's word challenges us to love even in difficult situations. And we're reminded of the attitudes that need to be cultivated in our lives. God's word also stimulates us to follow him with greater intensity and and much more urgency. (laughs) We're not very urgent about many things unless it has to do with us. The Bible helps scrape off the dead and, 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 and destructive parts of our life. And it helps us to bear fruit and keep growing in grace and truth. As I plow a little closer to the corn today, understand that God prunes us through the sharp knife of our circumstances. I mean, let's go back to the purpose of the vineyard. Think about the purpose of the vineyard. The goal is fruit. The goal is grapes. Not lush leaves. Not colorful displays. But everything must be sacrificed for the sake of the harvest. They're putting everything into that harvest. If if the farmer, if, if the vineyard owner, if he, if he withholds water, if he doesn't give everything he's got to that vineyard, he's not going to have an abundant harvest. And we as Christians are holding back. We're going to wait and see. We're, we're going we're to be more about comfort than we are about the harvest. So I ask, are you being pruned right now? Maybe a situation in your life. Maybe something's going on. But you know, God doesn't prune us indiscriminately. He doesn't go out there and and, and prune us like I prune my, my little shrubs. Every cut he makes has a purpose. Everything he does has a purpose and he's always follows a precise plan. And since he's working towards making us more like Christ, he only removes what is necessary. He only removes what is needed and he avoids unnecessary injury. But each one of us know in our heart that pruning involves pain. Therefore, we don't like it. And the father's pruning knife is sharp and it's not designed to ultimately damage or destroy us. He uses all sorts of unpleasant things to prune us. He might use our circumstances. He might use our failures. I mean, we have failures all the time. We don't like to admit them, but it happens. He uses ruptured relationships. Those things that that, that just, they're hard. He might use illness or other trials in order to get us to bear more fruit. You know, pruning can last a long time. We're pretty rebellious beings and we don't take to discipline very well. 
Because we think that we know better than God. I mean, the pruning process doesn't continue for just a day. It, It may not continue for just a week or even a year. We really can't say, well, I've been through that and I'm glad there's no more pain coming my way. In fact, the longer the grapevine is alive, the more pruning it's going to need. See, some of us who are older in our faith may need more pruning than we think we do. Listen, this is not what any of us want to hear. I get it. I don't want to hear it either. But it's a fact, and it's the truth. We want to hear that God only wants us to have pleasant circumstances. We want to hear that God just, he just wants to bless us. And the thing is, God does want to bless us. The problem comes when we try to define blessing. To our American society, blessing is synonymous with comfort and ease and enjoyment. But God's definition of blessing is anything that moves us toward being more like his son, Jesus Christ. If it takes illness for us to drop on our knees and give him the the honor and glory that he is due, then he will use that blessing in our life. If it takes a failed business to get us to be where we need to be, he will do that. If it is other things, circumstances, relationships, whatever it is, he will use it to draw us closer to him. And you see, our brokenness can be a tremendous blessing because it causes us to seek God with greater intensity and greater urgency. See, God uses those difficult circumstances in our lives to awaken us, to change us, to to deepen us. And the purpose of trials is to develop Christ-like character in each one of our lives. See, a true blessing is often that which seems least blessed at first glance. I mean, God is committed to our development as his children. He will utilize his word. He will utilize other people. He will utilize circumstances in order to move us towards Christ-like character. And we may not understand in the moment. But I guarantee you, we will look back in the future and we will see that God has done a great work in our life, moving us to be more like his son, Jesus. So with Jesus as a commencement speaker, he's had some hard things to say. Like we can't do anything significant without him. And and biblical success is not determined by what you have, but by who you are becoming. And the process of growth And spiritual discipline is ongoing. It's never ending. See, this is not the typical human potential nonsense we normally hear. Because Jesus is calling you and me. He is calling us to a deeper total dependence on God in our lives. 
And in light of this, I just want to press a little bit further. Where is your source of strength and confidence? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your talents? Maybe your education? Or are you trusting in God? See, trusting anything or anyone other than the Father is false worship. It's idolatry. Is there an idol or two that needs to be removed from your life? Are you submitting to the cleansing power of the word of God? Have you stopped reading your Bible? Have you, have you quit? Have, ask God for new clarity as you study the word of God. Is painful pruning going on in your life right now? I guarantee you that at one point in my life when I recognized that God was pruning me, I didn't like it, but I liked the results of it. And as he was going around lopping off these branches and cutting them off, I, I was like, Lord, what are you doing? I, I need that. He said, where you're going, you're not gonna need that. But what about that? I need that. No, you don't. I'm gonna give you what you need to do what I ask you to do. And I'm going to give you gifts to give away along the way. Gifts like love and joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit. So that others can flourish from that too. See, when the difficult times come, we need to learn to ask with humility and sincerity. Lord, what is it you want me to learn? Lord, how do you want me to respond to this situation? I'm going to ask the, the worship team if they would make their way back up here. You know, if, if the Lord, if the Lord checked his vineyard, the church, right now, would you be considered... A dead branch, a branch that is weak and barely functioning, or a branch that is bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. See, it may be that you see for the first time that even though you go to church, you do not have that life-giving relationship with Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. See, if you will turn from your reliance on yourself and trust what Christ has done for you in dying for your sin, you will begin to see fruit develop in your life. And this morning, I just want to invite you to take that important step if you've never done that. You see, everybody here has a soul to be saved or a soul to be lost. And you will be lost forever unless God saves you. Unless Christ has mercy on you, there is no hope for you. 
There was no hope for me until Christ died for me and God pursued me to the point where I gave my heart to Jesus. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But with him, you can have the peace of God and peace with God now. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Come to Christ and be accepted in God's dearly loved son. See, the message of Jesus is not a popular one today. And most people would consider him to be a radical that espouses a position unacceptable for our society. But I want you to hear this. But in truth, what those entering and those living in this lying world need to hear more than anything else is the truth. They need to hear the truth from you about who Jesus is and what he's done and that God loves them, that he's not angry with them, he desires them, he wants a relationship with them. And I pray this morning that you have not only heard the truth, but that you will also build your life on it. I end with this verse from Hebrews 4.16. It says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. There are so many needs represented in this room. This morning I say, lay it at the foot of the cross. Just bring it. He can handle it. Let him carry it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you are the vine dresser. And your son Jesus is the vine. And we are the branches.